There's a scarlet thread that runs through scripture, a thread of redemption and of hope. From the dawn of creation to the return of Jesus, the story of the saving God unfolds. Let us follow this thread, allowing the truth of God's grace, God's mercy, God's promise of rescue to sew our broken souls into the fabric of his promises. Let us wonder at his encounters, marvel at his majestic power, and be overwhelmed by his attention to detail. Mostly, let us be captivated by his relentless passion to redeem the rebel race and reclaim us into his family. God created man in his image, and man fell into sin. The curse was spoken, and all mankind was then fallen, and he could not get up. But God, the most profound statement one can utter, but God stepped into our fallen state and promised our rescue. The covenant maker gave us an eternal promise that he would come for us. In the garden, the curse was spoken that he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. But in the curse was the promise. Come and see the promises of God. Good morning. I'm Scott Weatherford. How are you guys? Are you sleepy? A little bit, huh? Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm, uh, I, you know, I thought about this morning. I think if I wasn't the preacher, I wouldn't have come this morning. But I'm glad you guys are here, and I know God's going to meet us here, and we're going to have an amazing time. When I wrote that script for the promises of God, I thought about it's amazing how God is so intentional about what he does and how he does it. On your way in, in today, or on your way out today, I want you to pick up a scarlet thread because I want to remind you of what the promises of God, how they're intentionally woven throughout scripture. And of course, scarlet to represent the blood of Christ. And we'll talk more about the thread in a bit. But this is just an amazing sermon series we're going to be in over the next six weeks leading up to Easter. Uh, the group material that goes with it, uh, the, the tape, the video that I did is short. It's probably five to eight minutes long, long enough to create a good discussion in your group or with your family or with whomever. So take advantage of that and lean into this as we talk about the promises of God. But the scarlet thread of redemption, this is something I thought through very carefully. Redemption was the plan of God before the pathway of redemption was necessary. I want you to hold on to that because God is always in front of you. He's always providing for you what you don't even know you need. We pray this prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Don't we pray that prayer? Do you realize the kitchen of Jesus is opened up the night before you need the bread baked? He's always ahead of you. And his promises are yes in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in this, this phrase, this, this idiomatic phrase you find in the middle of Genesis chapter 3, where God looks at the serpent and he says to him, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. That is the beginning of the thread of the plan of God before the foundations of the world. And so we're going to lean into that and we're going to look at what God did. Now, here's some thoughts. The curse of God to Satan was the promise of a redeemer that because man has fallen and he cannot rescue himself, that Satan has spent all of history now trying to prevent the curse of redemption 
only to be finally defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ and revealed in defeat through the glorious resurrection. That should have got an amen. But it's early, and I know y'all ain't awake yet. The curse finished, the cross finished the work of redemption. Though Satan continues his devilish schemes, he's not very effective. And here's some tactics he uses, and I want you to think through this as I give you these tactics. He impugns God's love and justice. What he wants to say is that God really is that, not that loving. The love of God is hype. The love of God is hype. Now, I don't know if you guys have been watching the news this week. And some of you are totally freaked out about the coronavirus, right? And, and so you're worried about pandemic diseases and things like that. I, I read an article this week. Of course, everything you read on the internet is true. Did y'all know that? And it says that every political cycle, there's been some kind of pandemic that has sprung up in the world. Of course, they always have to blame it on the, on the party that's in power at the present time. They're the, that's the cause of it. And so you have to be able to be discerning. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow and I'm flying to California. Do you think I'm worried about the coronavirus? I have just made a decision. I will not drink any Corona beer while I'm gone. <laughs> Is that okay? Or any other kind of beer, by the way. But then at the end of the week, we're going to Costa Rica to train over 100 English-speaking pastors the international churches from Central America are coming together for a conference that we're going to teach the Building Lives principles and concepts in Costa Rica to the uh, English-speaking churches, and we're going to have a number of Spanish-speaking churches as well in Costa Rica. Do you think I'm worried about the coronavirus? No, not at all. Why? Well, first of all, I'm young and in good health. <laughs> and, and second of all, I'm, I'll live as long as God wants me to live, and I'm afraid that things have been inflated over reality. Why? Because I've been around a little while. I was born at night, just not last night. Satan does the same thing. He impugns God's love and grace and mercy. He'll say things like this. God loves everybody but you. You're a loser. God forgives all your sins except for those ones you did in high school. And he loves to make God less than God. Why? Because his devilish scheme was to be God. The second thing he does, he tempts us to conform to the world in his ways. He wants us to say, well, you have to be culturally relevant. You have to be up with the times. And many times, y'all, and I will say this, okay, many times I watch people shape their theology based on cultural conditions. Instead of letting their cultural conditions be shaped by their theology. Now, I want, to, I want you to give you a, a little tip here. Here, we are determined to remain culturally relevant while being doctrinally pure. Did y'all get that? You got to get all of that. And if you get some of it, you'll call me a heretic. Culturally relevant while remaining doctrinally pure. In other words, the method might change, but the message will never change. Y'all got that? So you can just relax now. Okay. But Satan wants us to conform to the world in its ways. I've watched pastors who've changed their position on things because of the struggles of their children. Huh. Anybody knows you have kids, you have struggles, right? Here's the last thing. He accuses of our past brokenness Therefore, our present 
uselessness. He loves to remind you of your sins. Now, have you heard me say this before? The only two entities of the world that remind you of your sins are Satan and your extended family. The only ones who remind you. But what Satan loves to do is say this. You know, because you've done this, this, and this, that you'll never be effectively used by God. And what God does, he leverages your mess for his message and your misery for his ministry. God causes all things to work together for good. If all things are working together for good, even sinful things can work together for good because God is God and nothing is too hard for him. Huh. So as we pull this scarlet thread, and you should have received a thread if you want, you'll get one as you go out, that it'll remind us that God is faithful through all the promises. And there's six of them. And let me give them to you real quickly, and we're going to teach them week by week. And the first one is the promise to Adam and the woman in the garden. It's called the Edemic Covenant. The Edemic Covenant. The second one is the promise God gave to Noah. And it's called the Noatic Covenant. The third one is the promise God gave to Abraham, and it's the Abrahamic Covenant. The, the fourth one, am I right? Three, four? Yeah, fourth one is the promise he gave to Moses, and it's the Mosaic Covenant. And the fifth one is the covenant he gave to King David, and it's called the Davidic Covenant. And of course, the last one is the New Covenant, which is King Jesus. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the covenant of King Jesus. Does that sound like fun? So this is where we're going, and you'll find tremendous life application because I don't want to teach you guys for information. I want to lead you guys in spiritual transformation, that you might walk out of this room more edified, more encouraged, and with better equipped to live a life all for Jesus because everything we do is about Jesus and how we become like him. Now, for some... The account of Adam and the woman in the garden is crowned as mystical or uh, maybe not even real, that it's unreliable, uh, it, but it's, it's, it's neither of those. It's profound, and it applies to our life today. So let's trace the scarlet thread, starting with Adam, and let's discover the profound promises of God that were found in the garden. Are y'all ready? Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us today. And I pray, Father, that you give me clarity of thought. And Father, um, that my words will be your words. And that my truth will be your truth. And that you will be God of all of us that we hear and we're under your promises today. Because surely we're all under the sin curse. But you've broken that through the cross and we thank you. So Father, thank you for what you're going to say and do in our lives today today as we trust in you, King Jesus. And we pray this in your name, amen. Now go ahead and take out your notes. You're gonna jot some things down today. If you have a Bible, we're gonna be mostly in Genesis chapter two and chapter three, but also we'll be projecting the passages on the screen for your benefit as well, so you can follow along. Now here's the first thing I want to give to you, and some of you, this is going to be old news. Some of you, it's gonna be new news. You're gonna go, well, I never knew that. Well, here's the first thought. God created man to live in sinless perfection. That's how, why God created man. He put him in the garden. Let me read Genesis chapter two, verses eight, nine, and then 15 and 17. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord made every tree grow and that is pleasant to the side and good for food. 
The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you will surely die. You will surely die. Now there's something that jumped out at me while I read that passage. In fact, I've studied this passage all week and I didn't see it till just then. He didn't tell him not to eat of the tree of life. He told him not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they were making fruit salad out of the life tree. Huh. And so they were created, get this, they were designed to live in the presence and the provision of God forever. And they were feasting on the fruit of life. Feasting on the fruit of life. And they did this. God made us for these reasons. This comes from the Westminster Catechism. It says this, God created you to, for you to love him and to joy, enjoy him forever. But God created you to love you. That's why he created you. You want to love you. Y'all ever get a pet, adopt a pet? You ever done that? Get a dog or a cat or some of y'all get goats as pets. I don't get it. I guess they're not, don't, they don't make a bad pet, but you get them whatever. Some of y'all have pet pigs. I realize that. But um, you adopt this pet. And why do you adopt this pet? You adopt this pet. You get this dog. Say you get a dog. You get a dog and you bring it to your home and you, you adopt that dog for you to love that dog, don't you? You don't adopt that dog for that dog to do what that dog does on your carpet, do you? Or the aggravation he creates in your life, do you? Or after the 14 years you live with him, he dies and breaks your heart. You don't adopt a dog for what the dog does. You adopt the dog so you could love the dog. And you know what a dog does in return? They love you. You know, dogs are created by God. If you watch a dog, a dog is always watching people. A dog will always watch people because dogs are created by God to love people. We call a dog what? Man's best friend. God did not create you a dog but he did create you to love you. And he loves you. How much does he love you? With an everlasting love. And he's wooed you with tender kindness. He loves you. God demonstrated his love for you. When you were a sinner, Christ died for you. God doesn't love a future form of you. He loves you. And he created you to love him and for him to love, him, for, for him to love you and you to love him in return. And everything we need to thrive in God, God has provided for us. Everything we need to thrive in life, God has provided for us. Let's look at what he's provided. He's provided plenty of sustenance. In the garden, he said, I planted all this stuff and you can, you can eat of any tree except for the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of any tree. Now, some people say this proves that Adam and the woman were vegans. But if God didn't want us to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. That's pitiful, isn't it? Yeah. It's not theological, that's just nonsense. He gave us meaningful vocation. In the garden, he says, I want you to tend and care for it. Because in caring for it, you find meaning. That you find meaning in your vocation, in the reason you're here. And the sin curse brings some, some challenges to that. He gave us the perfection of relationships in spiritual and physical intimacy. 
If you read down about the, the man and the woman in the garden, and I was going to go into that, but this sermon's going to be long enough as it is, I was going to show you the, the intimacy these two had. They were naked and not ashamed. In other words, they lived in physical and spiritual and relational intimacy. There was no secrets, therefore there were no worries. No secrets, therefore no worries. Now think about this in your marriages. If you could go back to the way it was in the garden, you could do some things. You could be naked and without shame. You could have no secrets, therefore no worries. That's the intent God has for us. What gets us in trouble in our marriages and our relationships is that we hide, we become shameful, and then we blame. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. In the origin of creation, we were created to live forever. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils, nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. When God created every other entity in the world, every other creature in the world, he did not breathe into them. And the Hebrew word is ex nihilo, the breath of life, the breath of life. He did not breathe that into the animals. He did not breathe that into the fish or to the birds. He didn't do any of that. But he took man, formed him out of the ground. All creation leaned in and said, what's God up to now? All the angels in heaven paused in reverent silence watching God craft man out of the miry clay. And then in, in the amazement of God and his provision, he watched, they watched as God literally did for that man what he did for no other being, breathed in him himself. And that's why the soul of man will never die. Because we have the breath of God. Or I should say the capacity for the breath of God. It's the breath of life. We were created by God, not some genetic accident propelling us to the top of some imaginary evolutionary ladder. We are created intentionally by God. Pascal said this, the French philosopher, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of man that cannot be satisfied by any created thing but God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. That inside of every man, because of the fall, because of sin, we've lost the spirit of God. But because of the cross, Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, breathes that spirit back into your life. That's why we say we have Jesus in our heart. And I would say that the moment you pray, Jesus, I'm yours, God cups his nail-scarred hand, placing them to your nostrils, and once again, whew, the breath of life. The breath of life. Although created in sinless perfection, God placed within us the propensity for the choice of will to accept his love or to choose sin. You see, love is not love when it's forced. Love is love when it's a decision. The nature of sin is rebellion to become your own God. And the choice of sin then activated the promise of God. Let me read for you. This is a rather long reading, so bear with me. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, why did he say to the woman? Because God spoke to the man, don't eat of the fruit. The man was supposed to tell the woman not eat of the fruit. But the man had failed in his responsibility to keep the woman informed. How many of y'all get in arguments at your house, guys, because you failed to tell your wife something was going to go on? You and me, Casey, the rest of them are liars, right? We'll preach on lying next week. That's right. And so that's why it's important to keep your wife informed. And that's... This kind of mess happens when you don't do what you're supposed to do, guys. All right. And he said to the woman, God didn't really say you can't eat of, the fruit of any tree. Did God really say you can't eat from any of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, he must have told her something. We may eat from the fruit from the tree in the garden, but about the tree in the middle of the garden, she said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman said, did y'all know Satan had a West Texas accent? Did you know that? <laughs> well, he does. In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman saw the tree was good for food and delighted to look at it. Whatever you do, don't you look in that box. You want to look in the box? Whatever you do, don't you eat that fruit. You want to buy it? Same kind of sin nature. And it was desirous for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Where was he when the serpent was talking to the woman? Standing right there. And he didn't have any clothes so he didn't have his hands in his pockets. Lord knows what he was doing. <laughs> Kicking the ground. Hmm. Here's the result. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden, hiding. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Which is ridiculous. God knew where he was. And he said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he asked, who told you you were naked? That's a good question, isn't it? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Well, of course he did. The man replied, the woman you gave to me, she gave you some fruit and I ate and I'd ate it. So the Lord said to the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. You see, they're blaming now, right? You've got hiding, you've got shame, and now you have blame. So last one, what you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move your, on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and, get this caveat, her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I'll intensify your labor pains and you will bear children in painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. That word desire does not necessarily mean sexual desire. It means desire for intimacy, but he will not have any of it. He will want to dominate you. Did y'all know that today is the International, day of, International Women's Day? Did you know that? All over the world, uh, the world is celebrating International Women's Day. We celebrate Mother's Day here, and the world celebrates International Women's Day on May the 8th, and that's today. Hmm. Just something I thought you might need to know. 
You'll desire your husband, he'll rule over you. He said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You'll eat from it, uh, and you will eat from it by the means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will be thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field, and you'll eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to ground which you were taken from. For you are dust, and you'll return to dust. Hmm. Genesis 3, 8 through 19. So here's what the curse brought, and I'm not gonna go through it all in detail because it takes too much time. I talked more about it in our group time, uh, I, but I want you to hear this. From a plenty of sustenance became a scarcity of sustenance. You'll eat by the work of sweating your brow. Instead of there being plenty in the garden of plenty, you're gonna have to work for your provision. One of the big things that couples struggle with is resources, money. Is there going to be enough? That's been through time immemorial. Struggling with vocation. You're going to work the ground, but it's not going to produce meaning to you. It'll produce thorns and thistles to you. And so guys, you're never going to find your identity through your vocation. Broken relationships. You'll desire your husband, but he'll have nothing to do with you. And I want you to listen to me. Any belief system that is male-dominated or female-dominated is not of God. It's a result of sin. Physical death. These bodies that we have will die. They are aging. They're passing away. Can I get an amen? Amen. I drove up to the bank the other day and it was an old man sitting in my truck. I looked into the reflection of the mirror and there was an old man sitting in my truck. It was me. Y'all ever had that experience? Hmm. Spiritual death. The soul of man created to live forever in the presence of God has been separated from the love of God, not separated from the love of God because nothing can separate us from the love of God, but separated from the presence of God because of sinfulness and an unrepentant heart spends an eternity away from the presence of God in a place called a devil's hell. Oh. And sin's results were separation. Let me give them to you. Separation for God. Indeed, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save and his ear is not too deaf to hear, but your iniquities are separating you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Isaiah 59, 11, uh, excuse me, one and two. They separate us from one another. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So living in the city, living in transparency of relationships, it's broken our relationship with one another. The process of sin is that which I've said a few times, but I want to give it to you so you can write it down. Shame, covering, hiding, and blaming. Shame, hiding, covering, and blaming. And leads to death, spiritual and physical. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6, 23. God gave man the choice to obey and to live or to live in disobedience and die. He gave him the choice to obey and live 
are to disobey and die. Because God is so loving and good, he doesn't want us, he doesn't want us to live without him. And he doesn't want us to love him with the mindlessness, but with the choice. Now, although God knew the choice of man before he created man, his redemption was always the plan of God. God knew this. It wasn't a, what didn't catch up, catch him off guard. He knew that this would happen. And you know, somehow in, in my mind, I can't grasp it. Why would God do that? Why would God create man to live in sinless perfection and give him the opportunity to disobey and fall into sin, knowing all along he was going to do what he did, knowing all along what God was going to do as a result of what he was going to do. So I wrote this down. Sin was not the plan of God. Man's choice didn't catch him God off guard, but redemption was his plan. Sin was a pathway of separation and God had already created a pathway of redemption. Sin was the pathway of separation, but God had already created a pathway of redemption, the pathway back to his intent of the garden through the cross of Christ. Before the fruit had crunched in the garden of Eden, Jesus had left for the cross of Calvary. Now, I don't know about you, but that just makes me scratch my head. And that made me not want to do this series because I don't get it. But I do realize this. God knows everything before everything is anything. And because God knows everything before anything, everything is anything, that God knows my heart, my condition, and he loves me and he draws me to himself. You see, the curse of sin, we find the covenant of God. Without the curse of sin, there is no covenant to be kept. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is a promise of redemption. Notice, notice. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Now, I've looked at this several times and this is what I've come to understand, okay? The offspring is one, the offspring of the woman is an offspring not of man's doings, but of God's doings. In the fullness of time, God would come in the immaculate conception to a virgin named Mary. And it would not be the seed of man in the womb of Mary, but actually be God himself. Joseph had nothing to do with Jesus' birth. Joseph had nothing to do with Jesus' conception because the curse was broken by the promise of a redeemer and the only redeemer is God himself. So God took on the form of a baby placed in the womb of a teenage girl and was given birth. I've read some about St. Joseph. I kind of wanted to figure him out. Some people say, and the Catholic tradition says, the reason Jesus had stepbrothers is because Joseph was married before and he had several children. His wife had died. Mary was a young girl, 12, 13 years old. Joseph, an upstanding man, his wife had died. So they betrothed this 12 or 13 year old girl to this 50 something year old man. That, my friend, is creepy. Would you agree? Yeah, so I, I don't know the validity of that. That is kind of tradition that's out there and, and I, I don't have time to chase that rabbit. But 
what it says to me in this passage of scripture, the hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her, that it had to be the divine immaculate conception because the seed of a man could never break the curse of sin. Only the promise and the presence of God could break the curse of sin. Jesus was the God-man, fully God, fully man, fully able, fully our redeemer. And it changes everything. In that idiomatic phrase, and I've looked at it in Hebrew as well, it's consistent that man, you and I, Adam, had nothing to do with the conception of the redeemer, King Jesus. Huh. Mary was the vessel of the divine, not the mother of God, because God has no mother. Now, some of you just grew up in a Catholic tradition. Your head just hurt, right? It's okay. We're not going to take time to go down that road either. For since by death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For just as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all are made alive. Wow. Now, I'm going to chase this rabbit just briefly. I'm looking at the time, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep to the time. But this is the covenant of God, and he is the victor. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall e'er repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. When Adam and the woman were in the garden, we don't know how long the duration of the garden was. No idea. How would she know that she would have painted childbirth that she'd never had children? Maybe there were children born before the fall. If there were children born to Adam and the woman before the fall, were they, weren't they excluded from the curse that was given to Adam and the woman? Wouldn't they be still in sinless perfection? The answer is no. The answer is no. If, hypothetically, there were children before Adam and the woman ate of the fruit and fell into sin, then by that act, all people were cursed. All people were cursed and affected with the coronavirus of sin. Huh. But God said, I God man, Christ Jesus, to redeem us from our sins. I've given you a scarlet thread and you'll pick one up or you, you'll get one now, but I want you to look at it. We ordered these from a great theological company called Amazon. We ordered, we didn't know what size to order. We got them too big. This is nine millimeter, just so you know, if you have a reference in the future. But one thing I cut it, I found it very, very interesting. When we were cutting these 600 or so scarlet threads, I noticed they're red on the outside. And what color are they on the inside? White. Look at this passage. Come let us settle this, the Lord says. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they should be like wool. So by a mere accident of ordering, we've got a perfect illustration of God's redemption. You know what that says to you today? 
though your sins are as scarlet. There's the blood of Christ that can make you as white as snow. You know, when Jesus looks at you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus because he has paid the price for you. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. Who is the righteous of God? King Jesus. He is the redeemer. The fruit crunched and man fell and Christ left for the cross. Come, let's settle this. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Here's the question I want to ask for you. Have you accepted the promise of God? Have you trusted in this God who paid it all for you? Are you trusting in this God who paid it all for you? Are you saying things like, well, I'm trying to be good enough. Good luck with that because you'll never be good enough. Well, I'm trying to come to church even on time change Sunday. Well, good for you, but that ain't gonna cut it with God because God's not interested in what you show up to. He's interested in what shows up in you and he's looking for Jesus in you. You know, when I was a little boy, I prayed and asked Christ in my heart and Jesus didn't forget it. And maybe for some of you, you're like that too as well. When you were a small child, you prayed and asked Christ in your heart. He's not forgotten. Maybe you was a, as a young adult, maybe as a medium adult, maybe it's today. Maybe it's today's the day that you trust in Christ. Come let us reason together and let's live in the promise of God.